Jesus came to give us life, and that abundantly. So what holds us back from living life fully? This is Nita Erleen, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the Church, using the resources of the Kingdom of God. The enemy of our soul is hard at work to deceive us about life and keep us in bondage. Satan often attacks one of our basic needs, the need to be loved, and tries to deceive us into believing that God does not or cannot love us. We may say we believe that God loves the world, yet struggle to believe that He loves me personally. Whether this is your experience, or Satan tries to deceive you in other ways, we hope you find this message helpful as Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, continues his teaching at Caravan Fellowship with Part 6 of Putting on the Easy Yoke. Last week, we talked about, are you insane? Are you crazy? Just let me give a real quick review. So, so far in this series, we've learned that the problem is bondage, not sin. God has already dealt with sin, but we are kept in bondage by deception. You're right. We learned we must cooperate with God to be free from bondage, and we cooperate when we hear and receive the words of Jesus, and then choose to pattern our lives after them or abide in them. We learned that deception is being misled by a false appearance. That's the dictionary definition of deception, being misled by a false appearance. It's a way of thinking that does not see things as they really are. We learned that we are deceived about Life. We are deceived about life. You remember Jesus said that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he came that we might have life, true life, life in abundance. Okay? There is a way of looking, the proverb says, there's a way of seeing things that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. This is, we're deceived about life. We learned that the devil has promoted this way of thinking, this way of thinking that leads to death. He has promoted it in order to deceive us about life, to steal our life, to kill and destroy us. But Jesus has come to reveal true life to us and give us that life in abundance. We learned that the way of thinking that is being promoted to enslave us is to focus primarily on our flesh, our physical existence as the means of obtaining satisfaction with life. To seek satisfaction in this life by fulfilling the desires connected to our physical existence. That's the way of thinking that is being promoted in this world by the enemy of our soul in order to keep us in bondage. To seek satisfaction in this life by fulfilling the desires connected to our physical existence. The contrasting way of thinking that Jesus promotes is to give up our quest to live our life our way and agree to live the life of Christ His way in our body. Let me say that again. 
So the alternative way of thinking that Jesus put forward is to give up our quest to live our life our way and exchange it for living the life of Christ, his way, in our body. Galatians 2.20, the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of Man. So that is a contrasting way of thinking. So let me just pause for a second and let you know that I prepared this originally for Celebrate Recovery, which uses the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous with slight variations to make it more overtly Christian as a means of helping people with their recovery from addictions. And so we talked a little bit about the first and second steps of AA and CR. And I'm going to read the first one. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. And so I think all of that previous uh, review could be summed up in that conviction, in that coming to that conclusion that without God, we're powerless. And we don't have to have what would be clinically considered as an addiction to feel powerless, to be, to recognize our powerlessness. Just try to, for example, live according to the teachings of Jesus without allowing God to be the one to make those changes, to make it possible. And you will find that you are pretty powerless. Um, step two in the 12 steps says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And that's what we talked about last week was why the word sanity. Mentioned Philippians 2.13, God, it is God who is at work within us to will and act. God is at work within us. He's not willing and not acting for us. He is working with us so that we can will and act. That's what grace is. Grace is God doing for us and enabling us to do what we could not do on our own. I want you to think of grace like power steering, but I don't want you to think about like a little two-seater sports car, but one of those great big huge dump trucks that they use up on the iron range where the tire would not fit in this room, they're so large. Imagine the strength that would take if you didn't have power steering to turn that thing. And man, they go, if you've ever been in those big mines, the open pit mines especially, man, they just scream through the switchbacks going down into there or coming up out of there. And imagine the effort it would take to turn that steering wheel its relative size to what it's actually having to control is tremendous ratio. You, there's no way you'd be able to move that. But power steering does not turn anything for you. It works with the little strength you have to accomplish much more than you could without it. But without you doing anything, it would not accomplish anything. In our culture we focus heavily on without Christ you can do nothing but I, I like the saying that I heard if you do nothing it will be without Christ 
it works both ways. Without Christ, you will not be able to become the person God wants you to be. But if you don't choose to become the person that God wants you to be, it will be without Christ. Okay, so this is grace. But I want to read this step to you again. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, for me, this was a difficult truth to come to believe. And I, this is what I want to talk about today. Now, most of us here have not dealt with the issue of addictions. I have, and I'll tell you this truth that I believe is a biblical truth, that Jesus came to give us life and to give it abundantly, that is a power greater than ourselves, restoring us back to sanity, which is seeing things as they actually are and acting accordingly. Now, here's the thing. It's not that I had trouble believing God was able to do that. What I had trouble believing was that God was willing to do that. I remember very vividly, and sometimes you have to be a little cautious because this happened many years ago. Let's see, I was 18 at the time. I'm 55 now, you can do the math. But you have to be a little careful how much you injected over those years of that memory. But it's still very vivid to me the conversation that I was having with my friend Tom Heidinger. Now, at the time, I was drunk and high. I believe I had been smoking hashish at the time. It was very much not normal. <laughs> and God had been working with me in my life at that time, drawing me to himself through some people, one of whom was Tom Heidinger. And I ended up at this church that I had intended to go to in the morning and kind of forgot about and ended up going in the evening, but not wanting to go into the church. I, I kind of chickened out. And uh, Tom came to the car. And anyway, they convinced me to go over to where they were having a, a youth night thing. And... Um, and then I didn't want to go in there, and then I asked Tom, I said, hey, let's go get some coffee. I told him I was drunk. So he drove me to 7-Eleven. I meant, like, you know, go to Perkins. They didn't have Perkins, but Sambo's, you know, get a cup of coffee. And I was really just struggling with what was going on in my life. And so we got coffee at 7-Eleven. He drove me back, and we sat on the steps of these people's house that everybody had went to, and we sat there. And I was telling him all the turmoil and insanity going on in my life. And he says, why don't you give your life to God? And my response that I recall was saying, believe me, Tom, God does not want this life. You see, I didn't struggle with the belief that God, who was a power greater than me, was able to restore me to sanity, but I struggled with believing God wanted to have anything to do with me whatsoever. That's deception, and I want to talk about that deception today. 
Have you ever struggled to believe that you really matter to God? I think many of us, most of us have. And for me, even after I became a believer, and even after God did some really miraculous things to make me start thinking, well, maybe he does like me after all. Even after that, when I would come to God after sinning and to, to ask for forgiveness, I would wait several days. Why? Well, because I wanted the freshness of it to kind of get out of God's mind. My theology wasn't real good, but I wanted God, you know, to get a little distance because, you know, it's sort of like, let dad cool off a little bit before you tell him the truth, admit to it. I had this idea that God was sick and tired of dealing with me. Maybe he wouldn't even want to waste his time any longer doing anything for me. But in the last 37 years, I've come to see that there is very little use trying to convince people that they are out of control. I remember speaking in Lionel Lakes. I was speaking in Lionel Lakes. That's a prison here in Minnesota. And, you know, the typical gospel presentation is starts with, you are a sinner. You know, I don't start with that much anymore. I don't hammer on that point. You know why? Because I believe that most people think that they are not worth saving. That they are already, they already believe they are a sinner. In fact, Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, and, and the Spirit has come, he would have a primary purpose in this world. He had purposes in believers as well. But what was the primary purpose of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in this world? To convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so, so you could paraphrase that. The truth of morality and your responsibility to God. And I believe that many people, and I was one of them, feel that very, very strongly. And if they don't already believe that they will anticipate facing the judgment of God, we wouldn't be able to convince them anyway. I believe I've come to find that most people know that most unbelievers particularly know that they're powerless. I've told you about the joke I used to tell when I smoked. I know I could quit smoking. I've done it a thousand times. Most people know that their life is out of control. For me, it was hard to believe that God cared about me or even knew that I existed. I knew he was able to deliver me from the insanity in my life. I just didn't believe he would, and that prevented me from allowing him to. So, as I said before, we're kept in bondage by deception, and this is one of the areas of deception that is prevalent. And it's prevalent not only amongst unbelievers, but I think also amongst believers. And I want to talk about that a little bit today, and I want us to do kind of an exercise together, okay? I just want to read you this statement. I 
when I wrote down, you may be thinking as I did, sure, God delivered others because he loved them, but he wouldn't deliver me because I'm not worth it. I want to talk about worth it, okay? It's not so much delivery. I mean, I, we were raised, if you were raised in the church, you, you were raised to believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we kind of think about that in terms of the global big picture of God trying to save the world. But I want us to bring it home for a minute to us and the way God interacts with us individually. Do you find yourself like I did and have at times saying, God doesn't really want to hear about my problems. God doesn't really want to hear about my sin again. Again. God doesn't really want to be distracted from the important things to deal with the little things of my life, most of which are of my own making. These are the lies that are the deception of the believers, if you will, that God doesn't really care. And I want to work together on a little exercise. So I grew up with conclusions that I came to because of the messages I was hearing through my own filter. Okay, you realize we all have a filter, right? And Somebody, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where somebody says something and you get offended or hurt and you finally get up enough nerve or else you calm down to make sure that it's not going to be just really explosive and you go to the person and you say, it really hurt me when you said such and such. And they say, I didn't say such and such. <laughs> and you go, yeah, this is what you said. And they said, no, I said this. And you hear them saying exactly what you just told them they said, but in different words. And you go, yeah. And I said, but that's what you're saying is not at all what I meant by this. And you realize you've taken your filter and taken their words and brought it through it and interpreted it in your own way that was not at all the way they intended. Have you ever had that experience? So all of us grow up with these filters and we have to learn how to put on the filter of God. But I grew up with a filter, and I want to tell you, uh, there's a few of these things that I remember hearing as uh, growing up and how I interpreted them that led to some really significant deception in my life. So how about this one? This is my favorite. What's the matter with you? Have you ever heard that one? What's the matter with you? Now, some of us respond with, there's nothing wrong with me. But many of us respond with, I mean, first of all, what's the primary assumption right there? There's something wrong with you. And how do you answer that question? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, there's very few answers to that that don't condemn us and feed into that idea that there's something wrong with us. Now. There is something wrong, but it's bondage. And when we feel that bondage, we begin to take that in as something defective with us and making us unworthy of being a child of God. Some of us have heard things even more overt. 
you'll never amount to anything. And can't you get anything right? Let me tell you how I interpreted some of the things that happened in my life. My mom and dad, when I was 11, they divorced. My mom, you know, in her own words today would say, I just, I, I couldn't take the situation anymore. And I bailed. And she really did. She just left. And in my life, as an 11-year-old boy, the way that I interpreted that was my mom was leaving me. My mom left me. That's how I interpreted that. Now, in my mom's world, she wasn't leaving me. She was trying to get out of a situation that she found untenable. But in my interpretation and my filter, my mom was leaving me. Later, when I was about 14, I was really struggling with a lot of things. I'd been using drugs and alcohol for a couple of years by this point, and that didn't help. But my dad was dating a young lady that eventually married, and I shared with him that I really didn't like her, and she didn't treat me well. And my father's response was, well, okay, Troy, your older brother Tim has already moved out and married. Your older brother Gary is just about to leave to join the Navy. And pretty soon you'll be gone. I was the last child living at that home. Pretty soon you'll be gone. It won't be long, and you'll be gone. And I don't want to be alone. And I love this woman. And after you guys leave, I'll be alone. My 14-year-old mind heard, I value her more than I value you. How do you interpret that? That's rejection to a child. Okay. Now, it's not what my dad meant at all. And we can go back and, you know, talk about how that could have been helped, handled differently. But what I want to tell you is these are the opportunities that the enemy takes to remove from us the truth about God. And this is where Paul said the battle of is. You know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right, in heavenly places. And we have been given tools, if you will, weapons. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful that are designed to do what? Pull down strongholds, tear down fortresses that are raised up against the knowledge of God. And with these weapons, what do we do? We take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. The whole idea here is that the enemy of our souls that wants to kill, steal, and destroy will take these messages, will say things like, does God really care about you? If he did, would this have happened to you? Or any number of things like that to bring that doubt and deception into our life to bring us into bondage. Now, I want to take just a few minutes, ask you a couple of questions. I want you to just think about this. And if you have something you're writing with, you can write down your answers. We won't need to share them with anybody. But here's, here's the question that I have. Do you struggle with self-worth? And we're going to talk about what self-worth is the next time that I speak. Do you struggle with self-worth? So if you're thinking to yourself, well, sometimes I do. I want to ask you this question. Can you identify where you got the idea 
that you have no worth or little worth? Can you identify where you got the idea that you are unloved or unlovable? That's a stronghold. That is a stronghold. And we're not tearing down strongholds we don't identify. This flies in the face of the truth about God, that you are worthless, unlovable, and unloved. It's not true. Have you dealt with these messages of worthlessness? How have you dealt with them? So these are some personal questions that you don't need to share with anybody else. But I just want you to think about some of these seemingly small statements, or maybe large, you know, like in my life. It was a pretty large and loud statement when my mom left. I believe that these statements that we filter stay with us, and sometimes they bring us to conclusions that are not true. And we need to reject those conclusions and accept the truth. The truth is, and I want to talk about this more next time, but the truth is you have immeasurable value personally to God. I grew up believing and being taught that the idea of God is love means like God is love like a rock is hard. God is love like gold is heavy. I don't believe that any longer that the Bible supports that idea. I believe the Bible supports the idea that God is love because he chooses that as his character. God chooses to do what is in the best interest of the human beings that he created. He chooses individually in every instance of dealing with us to love us on an individual basis because we as an individual are important and worthwhile to him. If a boulder, I, I grew up in the mountains and like for example going down to Sedona on the switchbacks, they have these signs that say beware of falling rock. If a boulder or a part of that cliff lets loose, which occasionally it would do, and crushes a car full of people. Was that because the boulder hated people? God doesn't love people the way the boulder kills people. You see what I'm saying? God chooses. God makes a definite decision and has made a definite decision when he created mankind to act always in a loving manner. He is a moral being. A rock is not a moral being. It is the character of God, the unswerving, unchanging character of God to love us without exception, without condition because he wants to be that type of a being. And he does it individually for each one of us. And this is something that we need to get a hold of. I want you to think about the ways that you have been taught to believe you are unlovable, unloved, or worthless. And I want you to, I want you to come with those two weeks from now, Lord willing, if I speak again, I want you to come with those in your mind, those messages, and I want to give you a message that will shine light on the falseness 
of that. God, I thank you for loving us, for being a loving God, for making that your primary characteristic of who you are. And I ask that you would reveal to each one of us the areas in which we have chosen to believe or come to be deceived in how you may have neglected us or allowed us to be hurt or any number of other things that's, that fly in the face of that truth, the truth of your love. Help us to see those things that we might be able to be free from them and to be able to act as your children that you love dearly, that you consider to have immeasurable worth. Thank you for loving us enough to bring freedom through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org. Dot org.